it is so worth it. And the main thing of independence is taking back your own food supply. Our ancestors, it was easily more acquired for them. They didn't have the highly processed foods. So by default, everyone had stores of beans or peas or things for them to eat. That's how they kind of survived a lot of the winters. So I think sometimes too, we forgot about some of that and it's kind of coming forward. Hey everyone, it's Kay here, host of the Wow Factor podcast. Tune into your conversations and find inspiration to live well, be well, and discover your wealth of wellness. This episode is part three of a three-part series featuring the authors behind the book, Midwest Mediterranean. On this episode, hear from local producer, Noreen Thomas, cardiologist, Dr. David Clardy, and dietitian Megan Myrdal as we talk about the importance of locally sourced food, as well as how you can find nutritious ingredients in your local area. The Midwest is known for producing many high quality foods, which are foundational in the Mediterranean diet. Rich grains, protein packed beans and legumes are just a few of what the region has to offer. Also, tune in to learn about the benefits and how to incorporate locally sourced foods into your diet. Not only is it good for your body, it's good for sustaining much more. When you source local foods, you help that area's economy. We've got this and so much more in store for you on this episode. We're bringing this Mediterranean diet all the way from Europe to the great Midwest. And I'd love to hear uh, perspectives on how can we as a community embrace the local options for food to create a Mediterranean style, cooking style, lifestyle, um, and how can we utilize local farmers and local growers to, to, um, to our advantage that way? I think that's such a great question, Kayla. And you know, um, as we've said, it's it's so great to have Noreen as part of this project to have that farmer perspective who is growing um, so many of the amazing foods that are components of the Mediterranean diet. I think it's interesting when you look at the Mediterranean diet and you see some of the things that people consider to be kind of the hallmarks of the Mediterranean diet, the olive oil, the nuts, the red wine, and a lot of folks don't think of those foods as, as foods of, of our place in the world, right? This, this northern prairie. And wine is actually something that is changing now. We are getting more hearty grape varieties that are being grown in this region and producing some really nice wines. It's going to take a while for us to get to be a place that is growing olive trees or um, nut trees here. There'd have to be some pretty big advances in, um, in plant breeding and that type of thing. But one of the things that I really encourage people to think about with the Mediterranean diet is that the foods that are really at the base and the core of that diet are grains and legumes. So that is your oats that Noreen grows amazing, the barley, the whole wheat, those wheat berries. We grow all of those things here and they grow tremendously in our part of the world. And then when we're talking about legumes, that's beans, peas, chickpeas, and lentils. Those are your plant-based proteins. And those also are, they, they, this is, our climate here is perfect for growing those foods. So if you base your diet in legumes and grains, that is the base of an extremely healthy diet. 
and our place in the world grows those foods and grows them so well. So that's what one of the things that I really like people to, to know and think about and appreciate in the Mediterranean diet, if you're specifically looking from a local perspective. I think also if we go backwards a few steps, if we look at what the native people ate that were from here, hazelnuts um, grow wild in this area and they ate those as well as actually some of the really great beans um, were developed by Native Americans from um, way back. And, you know, even the, the oats, the wild oats that stuck up out of the snowbank, they would use those in grains. So sometimes even if we look back at what ancestors, the Europeans did, um, look at some of the Scottish heritage with the, the oats that came from a long time ago, um, some of them, our ancestors, it was easily more acquired for them. They didn't have the highly processed foods. So by default, everyone had stores of beans or peas or um, things for them to eat. That's how they kind of survived a lot of the winters. So I think sometimes too, we forgot about some of that and it's kind of coming forward. Um, people like last year, in fact, the, the beans, it was hard to find. Uh, people were, they're easy to store and, and easy once you figure out how to prepare them to go forward. So um, I think there's some really interesting history along that, you know, as well. Uh, those, those were foods some of our ancestors ate as well. With your comment about the processing and how you know, I think that's one thing that is in, in our part of the, the world, we grow a lot of raw ingredients that are on their own without the ultra processing that happens are healthy foods, right? The wheats, the, the different grains that we produce here. But when we refine them into these, these ultra fine flowers and then bleach them and remove the different nutritional component, nutritious components of them that are part of the whole grain. It's a very different process in our bodies that happens with those um, in terms of the metabolic reaction and the metabolism and, and those things. So really thinking about the choices that we're making for those local foods making sure that you're trying to, I, I, that's a message that gets stressed a lot in the Mediterranean diet is, is choosing whole foods as minimally processed as possible. So getting them in their whole intact farm. And I always use, my example always goes to the oats because I think oats are such a perfect example for thinking about processing. So um, Noreen sells oat groats, which Noreen interject if I'm explaining this incorrectly, but that's essentially the whole grain that you're getting that whole oat you're just taking off the um, the outer shell, but there's no processing that happens with that. Where if you have a steel cut oat, they cut into that, cut that oat into pieces, which is another level of processing. When you have rolled oats, that's flattening the oat. When you have quick cut, cut oats, the one minute ones, they're cutting that rolled oat into little pieces. And then you have oat flour. So you have this spectrum of all these different oats. And if you think about that processing, every step in that processing is taking away work that the body would have to do. And so it makes it a much more quickly metabolized food. And so getting to that whole oat growth 
is going to make your body work harder. It's going to send more of those resistant fibers down into your lower GI. They're going to feed that good, healthy um, gut bacteria. It's going to slow that metabolic reaction and not have insulin spikes. It's, it's all these good things that we want to be happening in our bodies, which are core tenets of the Mediterranean diet. I think that's really fascinating listening to all of this. Um, and actually, there's several experts have said that if our diets were confined to just eating everything that just grew out of the ground as is, the incidence of type 2 diabetes would be much lower, if not practically eliminated. And so, so this is just tying into what um, uh, Megan just said and also what Noreen has said. And I just had a question. Um, you know, you talk about the whole old growth and all of the, um, all of the types of uh, foods, the whole grains and foods you get here locally. Where can you get those? Where, where is the best place? Uh, I know I obviously have farmer's markets during the summer, but is there any place where you, where you can get those and, uh, and, and where they're easier to get? I mean, I know you can go to the grocery stores and you see everything, but is there any special place where you can get these locally grown type grains and legumes? Oh, thank you for that question. And that brings up a, a whole nother um, issue is that 98% of the oats coming into the U.S. is Canadian. And they are steamed several times before they're even rolled, whereas we cold roll them. There's no steaming of that oats. So sometimes those oats are two to three times before the consumer gets them. And that's to be on the shelf stable for years. Whereas if you uh, just roll them like we do, you have the whole grain, but it's like burn bombs, natural grocers, you can do it online as well. Um, and, and know that farmer, you know, if it's not us, it's, it's make sure that they know that where they're grown. Because sometimes there is, you know, repackaging where they're getting them from Canada and repackaging them and they say U.S., but that's not correct. So the, the oats from this area actually are very, very high in antioxidants. What we found too is they contain phenols, very high amounts actually. And there is a natural probiotic that occurs in the oats uh, done by Dr. Sharkart at NDSU that we didn't have any idea. It actually helps for the negative bacteria that cause, causes ulcers. And two years ago when he did the first test, we, we were like, what's going on here? And sure enough, it's very, very high. So the oats from this region you know, being the richest soil probably in the world uh, really translates to what's, what's in those grains as well. So with the oats, there's alpha amylase, very high levels that only with eating the oats helps against sugar diabetes just by having that natural ingredients in them. But it's up to 400% higher than anything else that we've tested. That is incredible just to know that you know, this is right in our backyard and local farmers are raising these crops for us. And that's saying that, you know, that's something like, I think the Midwest gets a, a bad rap sometimes when it comes to our, you know, ability, our growing season or our, you know, things like that. So I really love that this is going to shed light on 
um, the abilities that we do have, especially with those, like Megan was saying, those great processes in the body to break down like all these different levels to help metabolize this, this product, this, this food. And then, um, the, the gut health components of the oats themselves. Um, so that kind of, you know, that brings me into another good question is to, um, and, you know, David, you kind of touched on this. I love that we, you know, you asked where that was going to be a good one question I was going to ask is where can we get these things? Um, so I love that. So what are some good ways to incorporate these local legumes, oats, um, grains into our, into the Midwest, into the Mediterranean diet itself? Um, is it, it's definitely a staple, but what are some good ways to incorporate those foods into your, into your diet? Well, if people buy the Midwest Mediterranean book, they'll have a lot of great examples of recipes in there to try. So my number one way of eating Mediterranean is doing bowls with grains and beans and a variety of different vegetables and a lovely vinaigrette. Like, I think that that is the nicest way to enjoy the Mediterranean diet um, for any meal of the day. It's super simple. It's super flexible. For example, I've used Noreen's oat groats and added some cannellini beans, some roasted red pepper, some chopped up kale, some cucumbers, tomatoes, and then put a balsamic vinaigrette on there with some um, chopped up almonds. And it's, and you can add a little bit of cheese, like a little feta with that. And it's, it's so good and it's so simple. And it's something that my, my preferred thing is I like to cook a big batch of a grain, cook a big batch of a bean. I have that in my refrigerator and then I flex that out in different ways throughout the week. So I'll add different vegetables, I'll add different vinaigrettes, I'll add different seasonings, but beans and grains are a fabulous base for every meal and you can do so many different variations on it. I think the the same is that when I make oak groats, I'll make a whole bunch and I'll use a rice steamer. One thing with rice is that it goes into the system so fast. You know, after you have rice, two hours later, you know, I could eat the furniture. So I I like the oats because it sticks with. We have a couple of runners that use our oats. Um, we also have actually a dog sled runner that uses them because he finds endurance of the dog is so much better. They can impact the speed and the length of that dog instantly. Um, and a fun, fun thing too is that we're with the Olympic equestrian team providing some of the oats that they're experimenting with and finding that reaction on the horse is so much easier. So I'm thinking okay, if, if all these animals, it's so sudden, you can also feel it in your body that you're just not as hungry. So to make, like Megan had um, shared, those oats and those beans, like one time, freeze them, and I just take them out. And if I want stir fry, if I want some sushi, if I want a savory, it's kind of what I'm in the mood for. Then you have it, it's ready to go. And it provides so much more micronutrients than something like a rice. So if you substitute it, it goes a long way for you. So Noreen, I did not realize that you cold roll your oats. And when Peter was on here previously, we were talking about cold pressed olive oil. And so 
that heat treatment obviously extends the shelf life of the product because it deactivates certain components of the oil that would cause the, it to spoil. And then is the same true of your oats as you were saying that then you have a lower shelf life, but then is there more active nutrients or active different bio components of your oats that then are, are maintained when you don't, because I, I believe that's the same that's true of the olive oil as well. Yes, that's exactly true. So our rolled oats actually are considered a whole grain and they're not steamed. So it's just kind of like running over them with a steamroller, if you will. Um, so that's quite different what you see in the store. What you see in the store is kind of a white, very light oats because of the steaming process. They're steaming the life out of them and they're steaming the germ out of them. They're still real active ingredients, but it's substantially less. And we've done the oat groats to the rolled oats, testing them for different features that we're looking for, the amylase, the phenols. And it's, it's, it's in there still. And what's really interesting too is that the oats are much higher in protein. We don't know how this is happening, but Quaker would be about eight to 9%. Well, we're up to 14%, which for somebody who is vegan or vegetarian or kind of you know cutting back with that red meat for the Mediterranean diet, that fits right in because you're getting a real boost from there. So for kids, for instance, you can have that bowl of oatmeal, the parents can have it, you're only buying one cereal. You're not buying the kid's cereal that has as much as a tablespoon per serving in there. You just got one for the household. I mean, everyone enjoys it. So when you can add nuts or maple syrup, real simple, but it's easy on the budget. It's better for the diet in it, especially with diabetes in this area and heart disease. It really is something that we should consider more of. So Noreen, you know, as a great farmer in the community, if say somebody wants to start their own small garden, especially to grow some, maybe, maybe not so much the oats, but other different Mediterranean diet staples like tomatoes, um, herbs, basil, things like that. Do you have any tips or tricks to get started with a garden without getting overwhelmed? Yeah, I think the basic thing is to start out slow. Um, start with a couple of plants and then kind of maybe have uh, Megan actually with her organization um, has some of the boxes there, little free gardens. I'd start out slow with something like that. If you have a friend near you, maybe you can share the workload and, sh and share the harvest as well. Those are great tips. I would also start with transplants. Uh, were some of the things just to kind of get your confidence up, especially tomatoes in this area. Um, you know, if you have the transplants, you can kind of get a, a faster lift. I would definitely look at some of the heirloom varieties, um, and I would definitely include squash, um, just because in fall, you know, it, you can, I still have squash in my uh, basement January, February. So it kind of extends that season, or you can freeze it um, to, to use. So I think a combination of all those things, things that you really like the flavor of, and then have one experimental that just, you know, gee, I think I'll try this. 
Um, I would probably also buy my seeds really quick um, because last year a lot of places ran out and they're already starting to get pressure. So kind of a tip there for you. But start out slow, do something like a lettuce too easy, easy to grow. You can do a window box with the herbs. It smells absolutely fantastic in the house then. Those herbs really are the best. I absolutely just love the smell of basil in the summertime. It's it's just like reminds me of home and reminds me of um, when my mom and I used to make, um, it was like a flatbread with mozzarella basil and heirloom tomatoes. So good. Yes, thank you, Noreen. That is great news because to start out small and start out slow, to not get overwhelmed with the process is so important. I agree. Let's see. So how are, what are some of the ways North Dakota and the area climate can benefit, both benefit and be a downfall to, to just like growing in general? Um, do you feel like the, there are some benefits we can tap into in our climate? And then where do you see our climate kind of growing um, in the future with, with new technologies and things like that? Well, I, I think the Midwest grains are some of the finest really in the nation. We get tapped by so many, so many companies come to the Midwest for their greens. Annie's, um, for instance, um, buys all the grain from North Dakota, part of Minnesota and Montana. This area is known for the best wheat and some of the best greens in the nation. No one in Southern flowers, Southern grains do not have the protein content of the North. The North is cooler because um, a lot of them are grasses actually. So they do really well in this climate. We are probably great champions of that. Um, the downside of course with vegetables, but we also have high tunnels. So I'm gardening probably the end of November, first part of December still in the high tunnel. Um, I also think vertical grow growing is coming on. Um, indoor growing with some of the microgreens is really strong right now. Um, we grow mushrooms in winter as well, uh, just to supplement. I mean, you can do that just in your kitchen. So I just think we have to think differently about things and look at what we have to offer. Um, some of the things coming on right now is perennial flax. So we plant it once and it would be for four years. That's unheard of but it's growing here on our farm. So there's also some new little gems in egg that are so interesting. Yeah, everything that Noreen shared is 100% accurate. And I will just add on to that. I read an article a couple of years ago called What is Northern Food? And it is a food writer based in the Twin Cities who was talking about the foods of our region and our growing climate. And I thought it was really interesting. I, I hadn't thought about this before that basically we have this, Noreen, correct me if I'm wrong, but 90 to 120 day growing season, maybe that's a little, but from thinking about Memorial Day until the first frost at the end of September. So you have this three to four month growing window. And within that time period in this part of the world, we can basically grow anything, but it has to be able to mature in that time period. We have amazing soil. We have really exceptional growing conditions for 
those grains like Noreen talked about and a variety of other commodity crops. But those fruits and vegetables, you know, they have that limited season and we obviously can't grow those throughout the winter. So it's really enjoying what we can during the producing months and then utilizing those preservation techniques that we have today to extend the life of them, whether it be pickling, canning, freezing, and making use of that. And then also the new technologies, like Noreen said, with greenhouses and high tunnels that allow us to have those fresh foods later into the season as well. So really thinking about those base ingredients of those things that can last in our pantries, like the the dried grains and the dried beans, and then um, those fresh foods using different techniques to make them last longer. That is so true. You know, I think about some of the things in the pickling and the canning that my mom does every season after her garden to kind of keep those those foods to last throughout the year. And she she's really gotten good at kind of finding what works. And it's all about that experimentation and um, and then utilizing the dried legumes and, and grains as well. So we talked about, we talked a lot about, you know, North Dakota, the benefits of the the growing season, how we can utilize the, mo- the most advantage of our growing season using, you know, preservation of the foods and as well as the, the, the tunnels and the, you know, greenhouses and things like that. And that that's really incredible to see some of the advances. Um, what are, what are some of the, Megan, you had mentioned um, some, do you know anything about, or if anybody knows about like the grapevine advancements. I know NDSU does a lot with uh, the grapevines, and I've I've been out to Alexandria at Carlos Creek. They talk about some of the advancements of the grapevines that they've were they've been able to create these hardy grapes. Is that is that something that you'd like to share on a little bit? Sure. So yeah. So I'm the organization that I'm a part of, Food of the North. We host a monthly event called First Fridays. And back in August, we had a conversation with um, local winemakers who are producing wine with grapes grown in this northern part of the country. And traditionally, grapes are a much more sensitive plant that is better grown in a temperate climate. But with advances in plant breeding, they have been able to create grape varieties that are much more tolerant to this cold, much more, uh, some might say, harsh environment that we have here up in the north. So Harleen Hatterman Valenti is a, a grape breeder with the NDSU. And she spoke at the event and talked about some of the advances they're making with not only creating these these hardy, more cold resistant grapes, but also working with local winemakers to make sure that they are grapes that are able to produce some really interesting, wonderful wines. And so locally we have 4E, Rookery Rock, Bear Creek, which all have their own vineyards today that are growing these, these different grapes. And it'll be really interesting to see like how they talked about it is that we're very much in the infancy of our grape and wine industry in this area. But if we look at other places in the world that have these really developed, advanced wine 
communities and wine cultures. We're 20 years in and they're hundreds of years in. So there's so much room for um, new opportunities and potential and It'll be really fun to watch that evolve. But if, if folks haven't been out to some of those places, I think there's definitely a, a, a perception that people have about what local wine in this area is. And they think of it as this, this ultra sweet strawberry rhubarb or a choke cherry, which those can be interesting too. And they have their time and place, but they're not a kind of a, a really a classic something that you'd like to drink with a meal where these these wineries are really making things that are are interesting and balanced and flavorful and really based on the ingredients that are grown in this place in the world so it, it's pretty awesome to see to hear where we're at and and hear these people who are a part of that talk about where we could be going in the wine world to, in the future Megan, I really like that. Um, my, my husband and I are actually really good friends with uh, Greg and Lisa Cook of, you know, of 4E Winery, and, and they have a great Frontenac. Frontenac, yeah. Frontenac, mm -hmm. thank you. They have a great Frontenac wine over there that we just absolutely enjoy, and you can have that with a great meal, and it's nice to see that um, that we are starting to grow in that department as well as, you know, as many other foods. David, I've kind of got a question for you too. How can we use some of these techniques and these advancements as well as our, you know, our staple foods that are grown here in the Midwest to our advantage for, for our health? How do you feel we can benefit from some of these foods to create a healthier way of living? Well, I think the main thing would be to uh, start out with the book that we just have been working on, the uh, uh, the um, the Mediterranean diet, and uh, basically, I think it's important to. I think it's just um, publicizing this. I mean, I think that, and I also think that it's a good idea. And we talked about this actually making uh, something like this book or similar books available, you know, in bookstores and actually maybe to our hospitals and in our clinics, so that the patients can see that. And I think we want to work with the local dietitians and um, you know to basically and, and you know to get this get this involved and and certainly starting out with something like a pop uh, you know the podcast like we're doing and then also I know when I'm driving back and forth to work I always have on a, a prairie public radio <laughs> and so and they all have uh, these presentations and talking about different topics local topics and so i think that you know basically that would be you know one of the uh, one of the areas to uh, one of the uh, ways to to do that you know i think there's a definitely a need for that and i think that as long as we can do that and also make our uh, let people know that basically preparing these things they can be prepared quickly not very too complex and put it that way i think that'll go go a long way in, in making uh, this, in promoting, you know, a healthy, healthy lifestyle. I think when I go around and talk to people and see my patients, we do eat too much processed food. <laughs> and so I think that uh, basically those are some of the ways we can do that and expand that. You know, that those are just some, uh, some ideas, some options that we can, that I think we can do, you know, so. So, 
today is the 75th anniversary of World Food Day, which was declared by the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations as a day in which we should try to think about and think about actions that we can take to not only think about the foods that are nourishing our own bodies and going to keep ourselves healthy, but also think about the food choices that we can make that are going to nourish the health of our planet and are going to be able to sustain the human population for generations to come. And so I feel like throughout this, we have talked a lot about how the Mediterranean diet is so good for our own bodies, and but it's synonymous with what is good for the planet as well. The foods that are grown and the way in which they are grown and how they capture carbon and, and various greenhouse gases and pull them back into the soil, the way in which those crops um, nourish our soils and create soil health that's going to be able to produce food for many generations to come. And then a farmer like Noreen, who is using organic practices and extremely mindful about the health of her soils and how that is contributing to not only creating a super nutritious food, but also something that is doing right by the local ecosystem that is around us. I think that that's also something that is really at the heart of the Midwest Mediterranean diet too, is that we wanna, we wanna inspire and encourage people to eat something that will nourish their own bodies, but also something that people can feel really good about knowing that these food choices are going to have an impact on the world around us that will allow future generations to live well and live healthy too. Thank you, Megan. That is so well said. That is something that's so important that, you know, it just like, right when you started saying that it was like light bulb, you know, it, the, the food needs to be sustainable to, to continue on where that that's huge. And, you know, especially with our soils nowadays, you know, I've heard of, you know, crises with lacking of magnesium or all the other like really important elements that the body needs to, you know, to make sure our soil is fed as well um, is so important. I love that you brought that up. Well, and Noreen could add in some really interesting commentary, you know, as, as agriculture has changed, our region of the world used to produce much more um, wheat and barley and oats and various things. And then as, as climate has changed and plant breeding has changed, corn and soybeans moved up into our part of the country over the last 20 years and replaced a lot of those grains, but they are so important for your rotation, for soil health, and then also producing really nutritious products too. So Noreen, you know way more about this than I do. I've just heard people talk about it, but I think that that's something that's so fascinating. And if we can create more demand in our area for things that that we as humans actually eat, not things that are made into ethanol or things that are used to feed cattle, um, which is what corn and soybeans are really primarily used for, we could probably do a lot to improve not only our own health, but the health of um, our environment around us. Megan, that's very true. And just having the rotation does a lot for the soil health. And there isn't something to do with oats that when you add it to the soil and you break down the stalks back into the soil, it adds a lot of, to the tilth of the soil. It, it actually helps, especially in this region with 
we're really heavy in clay and it's tight, tight bonds in that soil. So it helps break that up. It helps with disease pressure. It helps with insect pressure. The more we put into a rotation, plus letting that ground kind of, um, you know, break up the, so the, the soil of just two things. You're gonna have more, a lot more pressure for disease and for pests, which means that you, you're umping up the um, applications of herbicide and insecticides. So if we can kind of back off of, with that, and there's an also multi-cropping where we're trying to, to put peas and barley together. So what that does is the peas add a lot of nitrogen, the barley, somehow the two really do well together. And that is something we're starting to see more and more. So you're always mindful of keeping that, that cover. And even a cover crop um, in the area is starting to kind of take off. So adding oats into the mixture, even just as a nurse crop to once you put alfalfa down, um, the oats immediately help keep the seeds in the soil and, and help with erosion as well. So we're starting to see so many more benefits than we ever saw before. And all of those things are not only benefiting that soil, but they're creating a more nutritious product of what you're growing because you're adding all of this back to the soil and that's where the food is getting its nutrition from. I'll also say that understanding soil health and the connection with food is a very complex topic. If you want, if, if any of the listeners out there are looking for a great primer on this, there's a new Netflix documentary called Kiss the Ground that talks a lot about soil health and features a lot of different farmers. It actually features Gabe Brown, who is a farmer just outside of Bismarck, North Dakota, and talking about his different grazing that he uses with his cattle. But it's a, it's a really nice way to visualize and understand this connection between the choices that farmers make and how that impacts the health of, of the soils as well as the crop that they're producing. Thank you, Megan and Noreen. That is, that is again, another light bulb moment. I'm definitely going to have to check that out because uh, my husband actually has a background in soil science from South Africa. So, um, but he does have that love of the, you know, the soil and understands like the different minerals and different components that make for a healthy soil. So I'm, I'm definitely going to have to link that up in the show notes. And it's so interesting, you know, I mean, if we think about this, this high plains that we live in, this northern prairie, the prairie, the grasses, we were a grasslands before any of this was tilled up and made into production agriculture for millennia. And that grasslands, that process of, of these buffalo that were grazing and they'd eat down to a certain amount and they'd trample this down and it would just continually build up over and over again. This, this process of putting this, this, this organic matter and these grasses back into the soil and back into the soil and back into the soil, all of those years of that practice is what created the amazing soil that we have today and why we talk about how we're one of the most fertile places in the country, if not the world, because of that practice of re-putting this organic matter back into the soil. And so hearing someone like Noreen who talks about being so thoughtful and intentional about continuing to do that so that we don't strip away all this amazing topsoil that has been created over all this time and leave ourselves without food producing land, um, 
and, 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 and hoping, and, and I know that there are more and more farmers that are talking about that and doing that, um, but it's really essential for us to be able to live that Midwest Mediterranean lifestyle is if we have farmers who are, are being extremely thoughtful about how they're growing that food and, and creating soil that is going to allow us to produce that for the future. One of the examples, when you look at areas of the world that the soil has not been taken care of, the civilization really suffers. Their food supply becomes very limited. You know, you think back the dirty 30s, they knew that was happening. And out of that came things like the NRCS office, because they knew it was blowing, all the land was lifting off. And the old theory of, there's actually uh, Dave Montgomery is a PhD in Washington State, and he's real intrigued with organic matter because we were probably a two, three, embarrassing. And we were able to move that up to about an eight um, reading on the organic matter. And that was done within years. He said, normally that's done over 100 to 500 years, but that thinking is old. You actually, if you take a barren lot that's been mistreated, you can actually turn that around with cover crops, putting different things that add to the soil. Because one thing we used to think about is a little fertilizer is good, a lot is even better. But that thinking is starting to stop and saying, wait a minute, we've applied all this massive amount, we've got it into our lakes and streams, we're not allowing it to be uptake from the soil. It's almost like you're just, you keep throwing on more. So there's a new, there's a new thinking and just some research re released this week, in fact, saying, wait a minute, if we cut back on some of those things, we're actually seeing the plant health go up. So there's kind of a different thinking that's happening. And I know farmers that would roll their eyes like, oh my gosh, we don't add that we're not going to get our protein in our wheat. But some of the studies are saying, you know, We've, we've been too far, we've been too much. So I think you're gonna to start to see that in the upcoming years. Thank you so much, Noreen, for that insight. It, it kind of like brings us back full circle, kind of a less is more concept. And that's sort of, again, what that Midwest Mediterranean diet looks like. It's, you know, getting back to the whole foods, getting back to the, the, the wholeness and, and just celebrating the, the simplicity of it. And that is, um, that's what I really love about it. And kind of like in wrapping, I thank you all so much for being here and shedding light on, on the soil, the diet, the foods that we can produce here. And just for this, this three-part series in general, it's been just such an honor to work with, with everyone. Uh, do you have any last minute thoughts or, or last minute things that you want to add to share with our audience about any aspect of the Midwest Mediterranean cookbook, lifestyle, food that you want to share? I did have a little light bulb moment myself uh, going over it, listening. And this is uh, in, in response to uh, one of your questions, Kayla, earlier about how we can basically uh, disseminate this information. I know a long time ago, or some time ago, um, before the coronavirus and everything, we used to do um, uh, public seminars. Um, and um, 
basically what what it was is a group of us physicians and healthcare professionals basically had um, seminars that was open to the public and they came and uh, and actually they were fairly well attended because people were very interested and um, and I know we have done some in the past about healthy lifestyle eating and and uh, and that sort of thing. So I'm thinking that maybe this might be an option for us, you know, uh, in the in the future uh, to do that. And um, I think that would be a good way to uh, let people know what's what the Mediterranean diet is, and and definitely the health benefits and the things that we have up here that can create the Mediterranean diet and a healthy diet. You know, it's it's an honor to be on this with with David Clardy, who is a physician at Sanford and a very, very well-known medical doctor in our community. And then Noreen Thomas, who is a really one of the driving forces behind the local food, the organic food movement in our region and has been for a very long time. And so I would say for folks who are are listening to this podcast and thinking about these foods that we're talking about, right? So we're talking about this Mediterranean diet and this diet of people that live thousands of miles away from us, but how to really make that a part of of your life and and really incorporating everything that's around us, um, all the good things that are around us into that. I would really encourage folks to to seek out relationships with those local farmers, to find the Noreen Thomas in your area or or contact Noreen and and have her deliver grains to you or or buy the grains that she offers. There are more and more and more farmers who are looking to sell their products locally, whether it be at farmers markets or direct to consumers. And I would say that that has been a growing trend for, for decades. And COVID has taken that up to another level of farmers seeing their markets disrupted and they want to find more local marketplaces. So for yourself and your family, seek out those relationships and try to find those good nutritious local foods. If you're a person that's in a position where you can buy those foods and serve them in your restaurant or at your grocery store or whatever it might be, um, let's really think about celebrating and enjoying these amazing things that are grown in our in our region and and making them prominent accessible and then hopefully folks can with our cookbook and other resources find amazing ways to enjoy them that are nutritious and delicious i would just like to say that with this book you have people from different fields that are all coming together that really agree that you know, it's good for your health, good for your family, good for the environment, good for the local economy, and it supports local farms. Uh, when you vote with your dollar, I can't even tell you what that means to the local farmer. It is such a boost, and it really shows uh, the importance of family as well. To me, what I serve my family is an extension of, of who I am. It means that I care enough that I am, I am going to go that little extra effort. And I can tell even on my own body when I don't make such good choices that, you know, we all have those slips, but when I have those, I pay for them. And so I just want to encourage everyone for yourself, 
for your family and for your community to really get out there, you know, even if it means gardening, starting slow, it is so worth it. And the main thing of independence is taking back your own food supply. And maybe I would also encourage a lot of um, the people also to be, um, talk to your doctors, talk to your physicians, your primary doctors, you know, ask them about diet. Because a lot of times we all get busy and, you know, we concentrate on medications, disease processes and things, but diet is very important. And it's probably maybe sometimes overlooked a little bit. So I would encourage people to, to inquire about diet, ask their physicians about diet. And a lot of them will be able to give you some really good pointers. And if not, uh, they can direct it to people, um, to the dietitians. They can direct it to people uh, like Megan and Noreen who will be able to really guide you in the right direction about the proper diet and proper healthy diet. That's very important. It's so important doctors talking to your patients and patients asking their doctors about that is huge. No question. Uh, com completely echo that a hundred percent. Amen. That is, I thank you so much, David. That is, I love to hear that from such a great doctor to promote the importance of diet in, in health that it's, you know, that preventative care. Um, I appreciate it so much. You guys, thank you all. I am just so touched by this series and by everyone involved and to be a part of this. I thank you all so much for, for this opportunity to share the Midwest Mediterranean from each of your perspectives. And our listeners, I feel like are going to just have a great time listening to the series. And I thank you all for tuning in to the wow factor and Definitely check out the Midwest Mediterranean cookbook. We will have links on my website to it when it is available. And we will definitely, definitely super excited to get my hands on my own copy. <laughs> um, so thank you so much, everyone, uh, for tuning in and have a great night.